I, I gave you a handout, and we're stepping back from Mark for a week. And the reason is because several people have asked me about what should we be doing with Israel? They rejected God. I mean, how do we know this isn't God's judgment on them? Why should we pray for the peace of Israel? Why should we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? And, and I was thinking about it and, and thinking, man, you know, this is something that probably really needs to be addressed. And then one of my mentors shared a message that I, I just sat there with my mouth on the floor listening to it because it was just about that, that very issue and why Israel is so important. And so I called him. I said, listen, <laughs> I was blown away. We were, we were in tears at the end of that message. Could you send me your notes and would you be offended if I took your notes and just regurgitated what you taught, what I absorbed to my SWAT guys? He goes, no, I would love to do that. And so this is not original. None of this stuff is original with me. There may be some little notes here and there, but it's, it's something God put on the heart of one of my mentors that I want to share because it was so impactful. What God says about Israel. What does the Bible say about Israel? You know, the Bible is a story from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. It is this unfolding story about God and how God deals with mankind through the nation of Israel. Israel was on God's mind. He knew it was going to be the nation of Israel when he unfolded his plan. And Israel, guys, is a nation that has produced the greatest blessings of any other nation on earth. There is no nation that has blessed nations like Israel has blessed the world. And it, on, on, on face value, you may think, well, really? I mean, like we, we've got Simi Valley, we've got, you know, Apple and, you know, Steve Jobs and, you know, we did the, the airplanes and all that stuff. Israel gave us the foundation for civilized thinking. I, I want you to think about that for a second, about God, about man, about nature, about evil, about sin. If you think about nations throughout our world's history, there's a lot of nations that you could remove that would have affected history. They, they make great contributions. But when you think about Israel, if you pull them out, let's say they never existed. Let's say Pharaoh wiped them out. Okay? And they were gone. And we didn't have what we have today. Then we lose the mortar that holds together the bricks for civilization of the whole world. In, in more ways than we can even imagine. We take it for granted. But Israel was what God used to bring that worldview. And all these other like civilizations would use politics, they would use philosophy, religion, and, and through a, a Gentile human perspective, and Gentiles anything non-Jewish, Gentile human perspective try to shape it, but it never measured up. The, the people of Israel had it divinely communicated to them from the Creator of the universe. And I think we take that for granted. And the Bible says that Israel is God's chosen people. They're His special people. A special treasure. A peculiar people. 
a people for his own possession. That's what it says about them. Their land is called holy. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there nine times. Every time I go over there, I just sit there sometimes in my hotel room and I think, wow, of all the planets in the universe, of all the places on earth, God said, this is where my name is going to dwell. This is where my people will be messengers to the world. They're going to be based right here. It's called holy. It's a holy land. But you know, in our country, Jews only make up about 2% of our population. I don't know, out of 400 million people, only 2% are Jews. Yet 51% of all hate crimes in our country are with Jews. Did you know that? You wouldn't think that from the media. Ray said that yesterday. Huh? Ray, what's his name? Yeah. Yeah. 51% are anti-Semitic hate crimes. One out of every four Jews will experience a hate crime in his lifetime in America. One out of every four. And that's because the majority of Americans are ignorant about what the Bible says about Israel and the way we are to care for Israel, the way we are to pray for Israel, and about the Holy Land, this piece of land the size of New Jersey. They're just ignorant about what the Bible says about that. So that's why you got young Americans up there protesting that it's genocide, what they're doing. That, that they're just trying to take over that because they don't know. So on this sheet you got, there's 12 reminders that we're going to hit in the next 35, 40 minutes. Okay? The, well, I'm not going to read them off. We're just going to hit them one by one. And the first one is this, that Israel gave us the Messiah, Savior of the world. It came through Israel. And the first mention of Messiah in the Bible is back in Genesis chapter 3. Right after the fall of man in Genesis 3.15, and remember, Genesis was written by who? Moses, Moses who was from the tribe of what? Levi, who was the son of who? Jacob. The grandson of Abraham. And he's writing this. And he's writing this and he says in 3.15, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. Who is he talking to there? Who is God talking to? Satan. He's talking to Satan. <laughs> and the word he uses for he, referring to he will crush your head or he will bruise your head, is a singular male pronoun. There will be one man, one male, who will escape Adam's sin nature. He will be born to a virgin and he will bruise, he will crush the head of Satan. Satan will wound his heel, but he's going to crush Satan. This man will die for an alienated human race. He will destroy sin, death, and Satan and reconcile God and man. And this is the first mention of the euangelion. And remember what, Brad, what were the three things? The birth of a new king. Yeah. A victory. And a, uh, and a, 
A coronation. But this is the victory. This is the euangelion that King Jesus will have a victory over Satan. And God will save His people through a particular Jew that will give His life for all. So, He says, between offspring, the seed of woman. Remember, it started off, you had Adam and Eve, and who'd they have? Cain and Abel. Abel was good. He was... He was... A godly descendant. Cain, not so much. And what happened? Cain killed Abel, and God replaced Abel with who? Seth. And Seth was the replacement. And through Seth came... uh, he He had children that produced Enoch. You know, Enoch was a righteous man that God took off the face of the earth. Enoch had children, though, before God took him. And those children had children, and it produced Noah. God was ready to destroy the whole earth, and He did with a flood, except He preserved Noah and his family. Because Noah was the line of the euangelion. He was the line of the Messiah that would come. And Noah had three children. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Shem was that godly line through which Messiah would come. And in Genesis 9, it says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Do you know what Shem means? Name. So what it translates is, blessed be Yahweh, because the word Lord there is all caps, that means Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Shem. The God of the name. The God of the name. God will put His name on the Shemites. Which in our vernacular today is Semites. Did you know that? Yes, it was the Shemites who became the Semites. They were the Semites. Anti-Semitic means anti-Shem or anti-God. Anti-name. The God of the name. So Messiah will come through Seth who ultimately gave us Shem. And then we see Abraham. Then Isaac, you know at the lineage. And then it's Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. It's a story. This is not just a bunch of facts. It's a story of God's unfolding plan. The 12 children of Jacob, one of them was named Judah. And we know in Genesis 49, verse 6, that Judah is prophesied that he will reign. His tribe will reign. It will be from Judah where the Messiah comes. Later on, after many kids, you see Jesse, who is the father of David, who ends up being the first righteous king. Saul was an unrighteous king. And David, God said, what, the scepter will never depart from David. And so, David had a son named Solomon. Solomon had kids. They had kids. All the way down to this guy named Joseph, who it says was the husband of Mary. Didn't say that he was the father of Jesus. It says he was the husband of Mary who gave birth 
to Jesus. Israel provided a Messiah to redeem man. So, that's the first thing God says about the nation of Israel. Second is God's answer to the confusion of Babel. Babel, or Babel as we know it, is in chapter 11 of Genesis. My friend Tommy calls Babel uh, Garden of Eden 2.0. Because it's rebellion. That's what's going on. People are wanting to take control. It says, man says, let's make a name for ourselves. And you know what Babel means? It means gate of God. Just like in Eden, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Well, they weren't put here to make a name for themselves. They were put here to do what? Make a name for God. God, Right? And when God says there is nothing they can't do, I was always puzzled by that. But it doesn't mean what you think it means. What God was saying is there's no evil they can't do if they are in this unity. That's what He's saying. If they're unified, the the evil that they would be able to accomplish is not... Nothing they can't do. So what does he do? He confused them. He gave them all different languages and they went out and they formed 70 nations. And the reason people say they formed 70 nations is there were 70 descendants of Noah. 70 descendants. And also in the Mishnah or the the oral tradition of the Hebrew writings, they say that Moses translated the Torah into 70 languages. So... They took this, they went out, they intermarried, and what they began to do is they began to form their own little ethnic groups and their own little religions and idol-worshiping groups. So they had their own idols. The interesting thing is, prior to Genesis 12, you don't see, you don't see idols. You don't see the word gods. And in Genesis 12, you won't see it. But if you go to uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2, Joshua 24, 2 is referencing back to Genesis 12 when Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. By the way, you know where Ur of the Chaldees is? It's in Babylon. Babylon. Babylon, place of confusion. And so after the flood, this is right after the flood, guys. After the flood, after God spares Noah, you would think, okay, these people are going to get it. And what happens is you start to see polytheism, which is the worship of many gods. And it was, it was about 400 years later when they came out of Egypt and God said, I'm going to put my, my commands on a stone, and He wrote them. What was the first command He wrote? No other gods. That's the first thing. And what's the second? You won't make an image of what you think I look like and worship that. And the third is, you won't desecrate my name. Because it was all about honoring Him. So, in Genesis 11, God scatters these nations that seek other gods. In Genesis 12... God has a solution for Babel. 
He takes Abraham and he calls him out. He separates him from the idolatry. Did you guys know Abraham was an idol worshiper before Genesis 12? I never was taught that growing up. Nobody ever taught me that. I just knew him as Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. We taught, learned that song. That's all I knew. Nobody told me he was a pagan worshiper of many gods. That shows God's mercy. God calls him out. In Genesis 12, he has a solution. And so he gives him the land of Canaan that becomes the land of Israel. And Abraham is going to be the father of the Jews. And God gives him this land called Canaan. And the land he gives him where he ultimately settles there is referred to in Ezekiel 5.5 as the center of the earth. The word in Hebrew, I think, means navel. It's actually called the navel of the earth. The center point. And what's interesting is if you took the continents and put them all together, guess where Canaan is located? Right smack dab in the middle. And so I always crack up when the news comes on and it shows all these Muslim countries around Israel, you see this little spot there in the middle that they've never been able to take. Guys, every time you see that on the news, you ought to thank God. Thank you, Lord, for protecting them. Thank you for holding your promise true. Because He told them, I'm going to give you a land. That's what He says in 12. We're going to look at that in a minute. So Israel is to the post-flood world what Eden was to the pre-flood world. You got that? The land of Israel is to the post-flood world what Eden was to the pre-flood world. It's where God put His presence and where He wanted His name to dwell. And Israel, guys, was the standard bearer for worshiping Yahweh, the one true living God. Monotheistic, they had a, a relationship with a creator God who was a personal God for them. He wasn't some distant God. He was the true God. They also were the standard bearers for morals and values, their culture. That's why God gave them all these rules. He wanted them to be set apart. They were the standard buyer for the deliverer, the Messiah. They were the ones who, who carried, were supposed to carry that message. They were the standard bearers for truth about God, about morality, and about sexuality. Is there anybody in this room who would look at something immoral or uh, sexually immoral and think about God? Would you think about God if you saw anything immoral or sexually immoral? Yes or no? No. And that's what God wanted. It wasn't that He was a killjoy. He wanted His people to represent Him. And so God raised up a miracle child in Isaac. I mean, think about it. Every Jew, do you realize every Jew that walks the face of the earth is a product of a miracle child? I mean, Abraham and Sarah were 90 and 100 years old. They should not have had children. And it was a miracle... And, and God raised up this miracle child to worship Him and the people after Him would worship. 
All other nations, everyone worshiped idols. Is our world confused like Babel? Yes, you think so? I can be a girl. I can have a baby. I'm going to give birth in about 12 months. It looks like I am, but I'm not. I can't do that. Just eat too much. The solution, guys, comes from Israel. Israel is God's answer to the confusion of Babel. Israel, number three, is a nation in covenant with Yahweh. And that's the answer. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a nation to inhabit that land. And he says, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. You're going to be my messengers of Messiah. You're going to be what puts God on display to the world around you. They're going to see you and they're going to think of me. And the Abrahamic covenant, guys, is a unilateral covenant. You know what unilateral covenant means? Yeah. Yeah. When God said, remember when God said to Abraham, I want you to go cut a cow, put him open, put the blood in between. The way they would do covenants is there would be this little valley of blood. And people would walk through it, whoever you're making a covenant with. You walk through it, you get the blood on your feet, and the the symbology is you break the covenant, you die. That's how serious the covenants were. And God, in His mercy, put Abraham to sleep. He never walked through it. God, as a smoking fire pot, went through it and says, you know what? If the covenant's broken, I'll die. And did He? Yes, He did. He did it. That's how God saves man. Because of this covenant with Israel. And you know, when we think about us as Christians, there there have been quite a few people in my lifetime over over the years who have a very, very bad attitude about Israel. In fact, they're almost arrogant toward Israel as the way they look down on them. They killed Jesus. And some of the comments that they would say were not very loving, weren't very caring. And, uh, you know, Paul addressed that in Romans 11. He says, we're a wild olive shoot. (laughs) We're just a, we're a wild branch that gets grafted into a cultivated olive tree. And he talks about there, and, and, and the, the cultivated olive tree is Israel. And when you stop and think about it, our view of nature, our view of God, our view of man, our view of sin, our view of redemption, our view of sex, sexual uh, immorality, our view of family, our view of government, all comes from this, right? If we're His. It should come from this. Let me say that. And where did we get this? Israel. Without Israel, there's no Bible, guys. No Israel, no Bible. You got that? No Israel, no Bible. Everything we have as Christians comes through our connection to Israel spiritually. Why? Because of God's covenant with Israel, you and I are saved. Did you know that? God made a covenant. 
with Israel. And because of that, you and I can open up this. We can read about that covenant. And we can read about how they broke the covenant over and over. And what does God do? He keeps going back. Man, you are stubborn, stiff-necked people, but I'm still holding my hand out. Come on. And He tells us about that. We read about that over and over. So, Israel is a nation in covenant with Yahweh. Fourth, Israel gave us the father of our faith, Abraham. Do you know that there are three religions that hold that Abraham is the father of their faith? Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. How can that be? Yeah, I ask myself the same question, but they do. Well, no, they, if you talk to Muslims, they will tell you. They have a very high view of, of Abraham. The Muslims believe that instead of taking Isaac, that, that Abraham took Ishmael to do that, and he's the father of their faith. But here's what's interesting. In Genesis, all right, in Genesis and for some people, I, I just assume everybody knows who, who uh, Ishmael is. Ishmael was the product of Abraham and Hagar. So here's what happened. God told Abraham, you're going to have a child. Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. You're going to have a child. And it ain't happening. I'm sure Abraham was trying to make it happen, but it didn't happen. And yeah, and so Sarah, Sarah goes, hey, why don't you take this young Egyptian maidservant of mine and she can bear my child? Because that's how they did it. Surrogacy back then. And so... He goes and does that, and it produces Ishmael. But that's not the child of promise. And so what happened is, this is what God says in Genesis 16, 12 about Ishmael. He shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. He will dwell over against all his kinsmen. In Genesis 25, it says Ishmael had 12 princes and they settled east of their brothers. The word there for east is a homonym for the word resist or to, to, to rebel against. And here's what God's saying. He wanted to make sure that, that this child named Ishmael, who was born of human engineering between Abraham and, and Hagar, would in no way be confused with his people. Canaan is for my miracle children. Canaan is where I'm going to let my name dwell. So he sent Ishmael over to somewhere else. And so Abraham is a father of our faith. Genesis 12, he made that covenant with him. But he's also the father of works in Genesis 22. He, his faith produced a work because he went and he raised the knife to slay his only son because God told him to and he believed God would resurrect him. He believed in God that much and he went to his death not seeing the promise fulfilled. He went to his death having that kind of faith. And he said, when, before he died, he said, bury me in Canaan. Why? That's where God wants me. Do we have that kind of faith? Do we have that kind of commitment? Because that's what God says, I'm going to do it. Well, He did. And so Israel gave us the father of the faith, Abraham. He also gave us the standard of divine might. 
Israel is the standard of divine might. The Almighty, the nation of Israel, are the people of the living God, Yahweh. You remember on the mountain when Elijah went up against all the prophets of Baal and Asherah? Call, call your God. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Fire comes down from heaven because they serve, uh, they serve a false god. Elijah serves the one true living God. That's what the difference is. The Quran, guys, is not a storybook. It is a book of chants and reciting Scripture, memory, just remembering to say these things. But it doesn't really have that story of the unfolding of God's plan. The Bible is a historic record of God's people and how He intervenes to protect, to provide, to preserve. It's not a mystic book of just reciting chants. It's, it's really God's autobiographical story of how He's interacted with man throughout time. Of He's the one true living God. And here's how He's demonstrated it. Think about, uh, uh, think about Egypt. You remember Pharaoh in Egypt? Who is Yahweh that I should obey Him? Remember He said that? How'd that work out for uh, Pharaoh, by the way? It says Egypt was ruined. This was one of the greatest powers of that time. Ruined. And you know what's so great about it? How many uh, arrows and spears did uh, Israel have to use to make that happen? Did they even lift a spear? Did they even shoot an arrow? No, they didn't. The Red Sea, it, uh, they changed their mind. Egypt's coming after them. What does God do? He opens it up for His people. They go through, closes it in on, on the Egyptians. Israel was protected in the wilderness. They were provided for. Lord, we're hungry. We're hungry. Here's some quail. Okay, Here's some bread on the ground. We're thirsty. Go hit that rock over there. Can you you guys hit a rock and make water come out of it? I can't. I don't know anybody that can do that. Only the living God can do that. His divine might has been seen throughout all these stories. Rahab, okay, Joshua, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Elijah, Elisha, Jehoshaphat, Esther, Nehemiah, King David, David and Goliath. All these stories are, are, are stories of individuals who God intervenes in a divine way in their life. And in the New Testament, you see it with Peter in prison or Paul. You see the same thing. Israel is the standard of divine might. And they, they encourage us. The reason I believe is because those stories that were told about how He did that for Israel. Number six, Israel are people of the book, God's Word. You know that God claims the Bible is His Word almost 6,000 times in Scripture. That's a lot for Him to say that. 66 books, 64 are written by who? Jews. Only two were written by Gentiles. And it's one Gentile, he wrote them both, his name was Luke. And he hung around Jews. And he got a lot of his information from Jews. It was written over a period of 1,500 years in three languages with one progressive revelation of who God is and His coming Messiah. That's the whole point. 
one progressive revelation of who God is and His coming Messiah. Well, seven, Israel has the only divinely ordained religious system that prescribes how we interact with God. No other religious system in the world was given that. Only Israel. They were told, listen, you got to build a temple or you got to build a tabernacle. This is how it's going to look. It's going to have this many feet this way, this many feet this way. It's got to have this, that, and very specific. And you got to sacrifice animals. And all these specific instructions on the temple, where it's located, how priestly service is to be accomplished, how the priests are to intercede, how they worship. By the way, could they worship any way they wanted? If they did, what happened? Yeah, they, they died. That's the whole book of Leviticus. It's what it's about. And so he prescribed these sacrifices and everything so that God would see our sin covered by the blood of a perfect lamb that was the sacrifice. And what did John the Baptist say when he was on the scene with Jesus? Behold what? The lamb. And so the the writer of Hebrews says that all these things, this prescribed system, was a copy, a pattern, and a shadow of what was to come. So when Jesus came, they were no longer needed. But God ordained it. He didn't ordain it for the Chinese, for the Africans. He did it for who? For Israel. It was the only divinely ordained religious system. And now... Israel, his Messiahs came, but they rejected him, which leads us to number eight. Israel gave us the Christian church. The Christian church came because Israel had the king and kingdom offered, and what did they do? They rejected it. They rejected it. They rejected the prophets. They rejected John the Baptist. They rejected Jesus. They re- rejected Peter as a nation. As a nation, I'm talking not individually within, but the nation of Israel rejected the apostles. And here's what God says. This is all the way back in Deuteronomy 32. Because they were rejecting him back there. He said, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Are we a foolish nation, by the way? Yes. Yes. We're very foolish. God says, if you don't want me, you know what? I'm going to replace you for a time, and I'm going to take my knowledge and disperse it through a bunch of Gentiles. We didn't replace Israel, but what we did was we got to experience the benefits of being in a relationship with the one true living God and to be His messengers, His ambassadors. We are supposed to be a kingdom of priests, which is what they were supposed to be. And so when they look at us, they're supposed to be jealous. Because Jesus is going to return one day to the nation of Israel. But until then, He's using us as heralds of Messiah. His name is Jesus. Israel was supposed to live under Messiah as a nation and be that voice to the world, but they rejected him. And so a Jew that follows Jesus, by the way, the first church was all Jewish. The first church, all Jewish. 
And a lot of the early churches were mostly Jewish. And then Paul comes along and you start seeing Gentiles come in. But you know what Paul says in Romans 15? If the Gentiles have shared in the spiritual things, we're indebted to minister to them in the material. Have we shared in the spiritual things of Israel? If we're believers, have we shared in those things? Yes. Our Bible, is it Jewish? Yes. Our Bible is Jewish. Our Messiah, is He Jewish? Our Savior is Jewish. Our heaven, what is it called? The new heaven that's going to come down. The new Jerusalem. Paul says the Gospel of, is the righteousness of God that is revealed to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Christianity is not some rogue offshoot of Judaism. It is true Judaism. That's, it's hard for people to grasp that. David, Elijah, Abraham, all these Old Testament saints who were people of faith, Abraham, if they were to exist post-cross-resurrection, they would be Christians. Or they would be completed Jews. Gentiles are converted. They're not converted. They're completed. You and I are never a completed Jew. We're converted. And we are spiritual children of Abraham. So... Israel is the object number nine of satanic hatred. In Revelation 12, it says this, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. The dragon wants to destroy the woman. Who's the woman? It's Israel. Satan hates Jesus. Satan hates Israel. If you're one of his followers, he hates you. Because you know why? We're the voice of truth. We're the voice of salvation to the whole world. This, this is why God says, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. It's not just because they're this special group of people. It's because they are the messengers of the world, of salvation, of the one true living God. So if you hate God, you hate Israel. If you love God, you're going to love the rich root of the olive branch that gave us Messiah because you're going to be grateful. And number 10, Israel gave us a Christian worldview, a Judeo-Christian worldview. Listen, a worldview, guys, is the lens through which you interpret the world around you, right? So we see nature, heavens, uh, the universe. We see the kinds of animals. We see mankind, uh, sexuality, family structure, our community, government, work ethic. Uh, all those things either come from God's perspective or from man's perspective. You either have a biblical worldview, which is a God worldview, or you have a human worldview. Because of our Judeo-Christian worldview, guys, we can look at nature and we know where it came from. We can look at man and we can know what our purpose is and why we're here. We can look at right and wrong and ethics and we know what the standard is of those things. We know evil, where it comes from, and how to defeat it. We see the true meaning of what's really important in the world. This is why America is so blessed, guys, is because our founders had this Judeo-Christian worldview. We were founded on this thing. And they gave us that. Israel provided that to us. Israel is also, number 11, judicially darkened. 
In John 12, Jesus has been out among the people. He's been doing miracles. And they're still rejecting Him as a whole. In verse 36 of chapter 12 of John, it says, When Jesus said these things, He departed and hid Himself from them. Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what He heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Then He says this, Therefore, they could not believe. They went from would not believe to could not believe because God judicially blinded them. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah quoted that. Jesus quoted that. Paul quoted that. And, and for that reason, you know, you know what the biggest church in Israel is today? Where it all started, the biggest church over there. You know how many people are in that? About 300. That's the largest church in Israel. The place where it all began. And the reason is, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So what's the key to getting the veil removed off your eyes? Turning to the Lord. And you know what I thought of when I read that? Luke 24. The road to Emmaus. Remember, they're walking on the road. They don't know who Jesus is. They're talking. They're discouraged. They're sitting there. Do you, do you not know what's going on? He was the only one that knew what was going on. And He's going down the road with them. And, and He starts with Moses and the prophets. And He explains about Himself and what happens. The veil goes away. And this is what they said at the end. Didn't our hearts burn within us while He talked to us? And He opened up to us the Scripture. See, because only Jesus can remove the veil. He's the only thing. And the gut, guys, is number 12. The hope of the world comes from Israel. Israel is the hope of the world. Because what's going to happen is you can't destroy Israel. It's not going to happen. If, if Israel's destroyed, right, then the covenant's done away with. Because God has still got a lot of stuff to go on. The Israel is the hope of the world because when the church is taken away, there's going to be 144,000 Jews that will be witnesses of Messiah. And they finally become what they were called to be from the very beginning as a royal priesthood. And guys, we're living in uncertain times right now. There's been five or six attempts at genocide of Israel over the years, but they persist because God is faithful. But again, people are wondering if they're going to be blotted off the map. Is Iraq going to not nuke them and get them out of there? <coughs> we have hope because of Israel. They can't be destroyed if God's Word is true and if His covenant is, is, is kept. And, and if all you got to do is look throughout history, you don't line up against Israel. Look at Egypt. Look at the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Edomites, the Philistines. Look at Persia, Babylon, Rome. They're still around. Assyria. 
You, you just don't. And so when you look on TV and you see all these pro-Palestinian protesters up there, the ones who aren't, pro, uh, who aren't Palestinian, what are they? They're young Americans. Young. They're young Americans who are biblically ignorant. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in Messiah. They don't believe in Jesus of the Bible. And so to despise Israel is to despise God and His covenant. And these people, all these young people, are the same people who are pro-LGBTQ that line up against Israel. They hate Israel. To hate Israel is to hate God and His Word. And so what we see is unprecedented anti-Semitism now in our country. Because when you reject God, guess what? You're going to reject Israel. True wisdom says that you don't line up against Israel. Why? What's surrounding Israel? Remember what Elisha said? Remember what Elisha, when he was out there with his servant, and his servant goes, Master, we're all, man, all these people are around here. We're going to die. And Elisha said, Lord, open up his eyes and let him see what, what's happening. And what was in the hills all around? Chariots of fire. Chariots of fire. Not one angel, lots of angels. How many angels wiped out 180,000 men in the Bible one time? Remember that story? One angel, one angel, 180,000 humans. So Israel gave us God's Word. His Word reveals all we need to know. If we know the ending, guess what? Do we have to fear? I remember growing up, if, if it was a really scary movie, I would ask my friends, well, tell me how it ends because I didn't want to see it and not I wanted to go enjoy it but I wanted to know what the ending was before I got there because if you know the ending are you scared no you know what to expect right they tell you so all of eternity guys parts at the feet of a wounded Jew named Jesus either you are his sheep and you go with him or you're a goat and you go away from him one pastor said it like this, Jesus will be the first thing you see in an eternity of bliss, but He will be the last good thing you see before an eternity of hell. So, that is the history. It's limited, obviously, of Israel, but why we should pray for the peace of Israel, why we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Thank you guys for coming. I'm going to ask, uh, actually, Chuck, will you close our time in prayer today? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day and just for this opportunity to um, share in your word. We're so blessed to have Doug in our world um, to share the story, to share the history of, um, of your unfolding of Israel. And we're thankful for that story. We're thankful for Christ in our lives. We pray today for the safety and all those people in, the, in harm's way in Israel and in Gaza and um for you to just draw all those people near to you um, that don't know you and to um, continue your work. We love you so much. We ask you to praise your name today. Amen. Amen. Sergeant Garcia, thank you again. Guys, get one of those cards from him at least to pray for him. Okay?